This week's episode of Screen Talk is supported by Roadside Attractions, presenting Lizzie, one of the year's most talked about films at this year's Sundance Film Festival. With the tour de force performance by Chloe Savini as notorious Lizzie Borden and Kristen Stewart as Lizzie's housemaid, Lizzie explores the secret intimacy that may have sparked an unthinkable act of violence. Making a film that offers a fresh take on Lizzie Borden has been a passion project for almost a decade for Chloe Savini, who produced the film and commissioned the script. Critics rave that Lizzie is a fascinating and ferocious film that takes a legend hardened by history and blows it up from the inside. Written by Bryce Cass and directed by Craig William McNeil, Lizzie opens today in New York and L.A. and is in theaters nationwide September 21st. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the deputy editor and chief critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor-at-large. Both of us survived the Toronto International Film Festival, so we get to take a bit of a breather and take in uh, a sense of what we've actually seen. And how are you holding up? I'm good. It was a good festival. It was. A, it was. A, I agree. You know, I think. I think both. I mean, obviously, we all know that Venice Telluride in Toronto just had a a surfeit of fabulous movies this year. Yeah, no, and and it's it started with Telluride for us in the sense that we saw we took a bunch of stuff off the table from the get go. But I was pleased to find a bunch of stuff in Toronto that was very satisfying as well. And it was less a year about big discoveries. I mean, I did go out of my way to see some smaller films and I saw some things that are, you know, worth singling out for certain sensibilities. But to me, it really felt more like a validation of the hype around certain movies that actually did live up to their potential. And so we already had seen Roma, which obviously continues to be... No problem there. Yeah. And and then, you know, people who uh, saw The Favorite of Venice and Telluride didn't get a chance to see it in Toronto. So that one's kind of on hold for a little bit. That First comes Man, back in New York, right. The First Man played really well. I have to say what I was really pleased to see in, in the Toronto context were the two kind of anticipated movies that world premiered there, Widows and Beale Street, both delivered. Uh, and Widows, so did uh, The Hate You Give. And The Hate You Give... Well, we could talk about that. The Hate You Give, I thought, was an interesting one because it's very different from these other films because it has that YA context. It's I'm more of a commercial film. I'm afraid people are dismissing it for that reason. That's what worries me about it. Yes, these are high school students, and yes, it's based on a big YA uh, bestseller, but, but it's actually a really good movie. George Tillman did a good job, and the uh, actors are all terrific, from Amandala Stenberg to... Uh, Regina Hall, who you who you interviewed recently, and and Russell Hornby, who's extraordinary, I think, as her father. So I think this is not only going to be a pretty big hit, but could resonate with the um, Oscar world if they see it and take it seriously. That's yeah, that's the the YA thing that you just threw on it is like, is it a chick flick? Is it to be dismissed because it's it's uh it's for young people? It, it's really a serious movie. I'm going to be honest with you. I struggled with this movie. I found it to be very, very familiar in terms of the kinds of characters it was putting out there. And that even though it is very powerful to have this central storyline about a woman, a young woman, teenage woman who's radicalized by seeing her best friend killed by a racist police officer, it is powerful. And I think probably to, especially to a teen audience, seeing this movie could, could have a really important resonance in the national conversation. I didn't find it to be a particularly convincing piece of storytelling. I found it very 
maudlin and, and kind of over the top in parts, but I, I appreciate that it's out there. And if there are other people who feel as you do about it, certainly it's not something that I have an issue with. Ha, ha. To me, what was really exciting was seeing Widows, a movie that is designed to be escapist entertainment, also wrestling with issues like racist police officers and, and sexism and, and all kinds of other issues in the, in the context of a movie that, that we don't tend to see reach that deep. That's what I found so satisfying. About no, it. that's what's great about it. McQueen and his co-writer, uh, Gillian Flynn, who you all know from Sharp Objects and other things like Gone Girl, uh, she has that sort of page turner uh, skill. You know, she knows how to grab an audience. And I think it's very smart of him to, to work with her, yes. uh, to, to get the story to work, um, not only from the point of view of these, of these four women who are involved in the heist and are doing things that they never thought that they could do. Uh, you know, they, they surprised themselves led by the character played by Viola Davis. Um, but, but I, I think it's, what's great about it is that they put a lot of meat on the bones from, from real stuff in Chicago so that it's not just a routine studio movie. I guess what I'm trying to say, Fox made both these movies and they're both better than you would expect from mainstream studio yes. entertainment. 100%. I, I think that it, it, it's, it's nice to see that the movies that kind of fall neatly into a certain box, a certain genre and expectations are still reaching to have more resonance and also to have more sophistication in terms of the stories that they're telling. I mean, to see McQueen make a commercial movie, I, mean, I was excited for this thing, but it delivered in ways that I wasn't totally prepared for. You know, it's like pulpy with purpose in a way that's just really, it just, it made, it made me really happy. And, it's hard and, to thread that needle, I have to say. And the Toronto response- I'll tell you the yeah. other movie that does that, which I was surprised by, is Green Book. That well, Green Book seemed to surprise a lot of people. Me. Because it does the same thing. It basically takes, it uses, um, you know, a very a sort of a fish out of water buddy comedy kind of structure, but it's based on a true story. It's period. It's this extraordinary jazz musician, Don Shirley, played by Mahershal Ali, and then the, the, uh, the sort of bouncer type uh, from New York from New York, you know, played, the <laughs> played by Vigo Mortensen, who packed on the pounds. And, and the two of them are like uh, oil and water, and then they become close. And it's a beautiful, they have to travel through the, the South in the 60s. Yeah. You, can't start, you start with the premise that this movie sounds kind of like a silly formula, an inverted driving Miss Daisy or whatever. And mm -hmm. then it, it kind of like delivers on those expectations. But in a very, very well. I mean, it's what's, what's, I think it's, and it's funny because it's Peter Farrelly and the actors stick to their guns. They well, really I, pull it off. The actors, I think, sell it even better than the material itself. The material right. is, I think the movie is fine, but Mahershala Ali doing his first real big lead role since winning his Oscar is completely in the zone as this guy who's, he's like this highbrow New York pianist who, you know, sees himself as superior to this uneducated Guido character that Vigo Mortensen <laughs> somehow managed to transform into, which I think is pretty remarkable in and, and of itself. he's lovely. You fall for him. You love this guy, this lug. You see him but, but grow. Movie, you see him. You see them both grow. You see them both the grow is, and change. This is like this was such a by the numbers kind of Oscar fall movie that it's kind of funny that it's in the minority this year relative to the other movies that we've been talking about is sort of the, mo it's the most conventional movie, but we should have seen it coming. And I did 
say on this podcast a few weeks ago, I was sort of curious about it. The trailer but, you know, cannot t- express what the movie is. That's almost what their problem is, you know? Gives, I went back How to sell it, you know? It gives, it gives a lot of the plot away, but it doesn't give away... A lot of those scenes continue, and, and the kind of chemistry between the guys is what's so involving, really, the way yeah. the kind of the banter that they have and stuff. It's not a masterpiece by any sense, but, but it is a very satisfying kind of middle brow commercial movie. Here's what it could be, which is going to be very interesting. I mean, of course, the movie that everybody was... All right. So Toronto is a kind of overhyped, crazy bubble. And you have, I mean, you and I who pay some attention to what goes on on, on Twitter. Oh, you and me. Oh, my God. Twitter is crazy during Toronto because everybody's just, this is the Oscar winner. This is the Oscar front runner. This is going to win everything. And you go like, wait a second, people, you know? And, and so Star is Born, of course, is the one that everybody is raving about. And of course, it's going to do really well. And it's going to be a huge hit. Biggest hit of all the movies that are going to come Well, out. yeah. But the thing about Star is Born is that like the – the hype around Stars Born is actually the biggest weapon that it has because that is a movie that delivers on what people want from it over and over again. You yes, get- it does. And then when I was on the airplane going home, the guy sitting next to me, non-pro, had a business trip in Toronto, doesn't follow this stuff. Watched, by the way, RBG and uh, <laughs> uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor on the flight. <laughs> Which Kevin is all these people were watching RBG on the blade. I was, I was time to do it. Shocked, but anyway, he he said, "Oh, he said, how about Stars Born? That's the one I want to see." So it penetrated into into the main uh, culture. But what it's what it's up for is the audience award, and it could win that. But Green Book could win that too, because those were yeah. the two that I sat through with the biggest, most enthusiastic audience reaction. Yeah, and I think the that Stars Born. Stars Born is... Which probably had more screenings, I might add. It it has more visibility. Green Book is sort of... It's a movie that invites people in a little bit more because it's a feel-good movie. Stars Born is is emotional, but it's not necessarily feel-good in quite the same way. It's more like, wow, this industry really sucks. You know, so they so it, it doesn't well, Star the same Born, mindset. Yeah, Star is Born is 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 about discovering Lady Gaga and 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 it plays to men and women and it's a tragic romance and it's a story we all know and love. It's been around for a long time. Yeah, well, let's let's get into this. So, you know, the response out of Venice really positive. I keep saying this is not a movie for me. I can't possibly get excited about it. Even re, you know, I I really like. The Judy Garland version. I rewatched it recently. Or what's what what version of it is actually available? Since some of that movie is unsalvageable. I but, love uh, the Judy Garland version. So That's good. My favorite. And it, it makes and me what, cry. This movie, by the way, did not make me cry. Well, so so the, I think the thing about this movie is it, it it does feel like an attempt to essentially update that narrative for today's pop culture landscape. And I, for the most part, did not care for a lot of the plot. But I do think Lady Gaga charges through it in a way that elevates it and, and in some ways makes it a much better movie than it would be without her. From the moment she steps out. I think out, Bradley Cooper's good, too, by the way. He's all right. He's all right. I felt I got these like crazy. I felt for him. I really felt for him. It's, I mean, I think 
what he does with his voice in the movie is pretty interesting. And certainly he, he performs well and stuff, but there, there's but a he lot. He also directed it. So he's going to yeah. get a lot of brown well, as, points as, for that. As a director, it's, it's not a bad debut. That's for sure. But to me, it really seems like what she's doing is she's stripping away a lot of what people probably bring to the table when they see her rather than made her do that. But I mean, that's kind of the essence of the thing. People talk about the part in this movie, you know, there's a scene where he takes her makeup off because he wants to see, see her, which is in the other versions, which happened in real life. Right. But that, but that is part of the story is sort of stripping away what this business makes people think you're supposed to be like to get at the raw talent. Right. So I think that's really what makes it, work is that the that she does make that a credible transition so it it sold it she sold the movie to me i would not say that the movie itself or even bradley cooper succeeded nearly as much and it doesn't always i think she was really well cast perfectly cast i think she's an extraordinary singer and of course it's the music that really pushes this movie across the finish line, I think. And the degree to which Bradley Cooper uh, did his research, pulled in uh, Lucas Nelson, the son of, of Willie Nelson, pulled in people to model himself after, including Sam Elliott, um, who's also very good and could get a supporting actor nomination for this. Um, he made it work as, as as something, you know, with live music that was believable, credible, and different. And it isn't just a bunch of, of showbiz cliches. I, I want to give Bradley Cooper more credit for giving this a, a, a bit, let's just say a bit, of, of gritty authenticity beyond what a regular studio movie would do. Well, this is one part where I actually do appreciate the deep dive of Oscar season that we'll be coming back more and more to these movies to talk about how they were made. Because I would like to know, you know, they, you're an actor. People assume, assume when an actor wants to direct, it's often a vanity project. But actually, actors are on set all the time, so they learn a lot about the kind of nuts and bolts of filmmaking through that process. And I would be curious to know a bit about kind of how this person as a filmmaker envisioned the movie. It does have a kind of a very fluid, almost Cassavetes-esque aesthetic to it. Lots of close-ups and handheld camera work and stuff like that. And that is impressive. The craftsmanship of the movie is very... It's harder than it looks. And I'm, I just, I'm just telling you, Bradley's a brainy guy. I mean, he, he starts quoting Proust when he's talking to you. You know, he, he speaks French. <laughs> what can I tell you? Anyway, he is designed to not, to be, not to be like underestimated. Um, so uh, and then and then the other movies that came out of here, of course, uh, Netflix had an incredible festival. They had eight movies, including 22 July, which is a very good Paul Greengrass movie, which will have a small theatrical uh, release. They the Hold the Dark from Jeremy Sonnier, which uh, which is an Alaska hard world noir, which I adored. Did you like those two? Yeah, I mean, well, 22 July is a tough one. I mean, about the, the Norwegian shooter. And uh, there there was another movie about that same instance that neither of us saw that was at Berlin this year that apparently makes a fascinating contrast. This one, what I what I found sort of surprising about it is that it's front-loaded by the shooting, and then it becomes more about the aftermath. And I don't know exactly if it all works, but the willingness to kind of deal with this lunatic who thinks he can sort of take charge with this terrorist act and become a media figure, you know, being sort of positioned as up against 
this one kid who's a survivor and his decision to testify against the guy is a really interesting dynamic. I think the movie's a little too long and, and, and it kind of gets trying after a while, but it, it is definitely Greengrass's best piece of filmmaking since uh, United 93. So I it was nice to have him come back. There's, there's a way that he's taking this real story and using it to show us a, an avenue of escape, if you like. In other words, in, in Norway, they, they actually went through a democratic judicial process and everybody did what they were supposed to do and they didn't shut the guy down. They let him speak. And I find that um, really uh, heartwarming, uh, finally. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's not um, as grim as you think. It, 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 in effect, you can go to this movie and see the face of the evil that is all over our world uh, more than ever since this happened. Um, it almost happened earlier than it started cropping up everywhere else. Um, and now we have to deal with it. And, and this movie shows that you can deal with it. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if it's, it, 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 the guy, whether or not the guy won is still kind of an open question. I, I think it's, it's a tough one to struggle with watching. What do you mean the guy won? Because it really does on some level, it, it allows him to be such a central character in the story in a way that, you know, the guy is still alive. In a way that allows us to try to understand him. I mean, this is the same yeah. issue you brought up with Errol Morris. And Steve, and Steve Bannon. Bannon. I think with the Bannon thing, it's a little different. This because, guy's an evil villain from... Yeah, uh, well, there's a moral... There's a different kind of morality. People. Bannon is just espousing ideas. And also, he's espousing ideas that are corrupt and being called on them in a way that I think helps put them in context. I don't know if this movie goes to those lengths to basically, I mean, it sort of, it assumes that, you know, he's, he's crazy and, uh, and it's, and this is too bad. But the, the thing is like you watch a movie and part of what he sees as his attack on the nation on Norway is the trial itself being able to to testify and and, right. and all that stuff? So I did get this weird sense on some level, knowing that he's still around, that this movie continues to perpetuate the the kind of self mythologizing that uh, he set out to create, and that's sort of the thing that I haven't totally resolved yet. I think movie. he's pretty clearly shut down by 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 the boy and by everyone else who spoke and and by the process. I mean, he's in jail for forever. Yeah, well, it's, it's an open question. I, I'll be curious to see. I mean, the fact that it's going to be on Netflix, it's a movie that's way well over two hours, like Roma, and not an easy sit. It's going to be an interesting test of what you know who who's willing to subject themselves to this when they can change the channel at any moment. So that'll be an interesting one to talk about. Hold the dark, I liked quite a bit. Uh, Jeremy Saulnier is just such a he's so great at capturing these images and merging different genres in the process. He's very poetic filmmaker in terms of what he captures but then you're watching a movie that could be at one point a supernatural thriller and another point this kind of peck and paw-esque shootout so it's really interesting because it keeps you in the state of unpredictability it's really hard to tell what kind of movie you're watching 
That's and, what I uh, loved about yeah. it. And, and, right. and you have no idea who's going to survive, who's going to get killed, what's going to happen, what genre you're watching, how much is he going to pull in some kind of supernatural thing with wolves. And this great Jeffrey Wright character who, uh, who's an older guy who, and you don't know how heroic he's going to be in the snow. Is he going to die? You don't know. I love this movie. Well, Jeffrey Wright is so great. I mean, just like on Westworld, he's so great at sort of the, it's like his face is a punchline. He's so baffled. He's just sort of like, he, he can't figure out what's going on around and him. He's and he's decent. You know? He's yeah, he's like this, the, he's the, the kind of. The moral center. The, the entry point for the audience is also to sort of, you're, you're seeing all this weird stuff happening. Like, wait, so there are demon wolves that are possessing crazy people in the Alaskan wilderness. And he's like chasing them around or trying and he, he's just all oh, he always looks so confused and you're like yeah i get that i get why you're confused so i did appreciate that and the other movie that from toronto that we haven't talked about yet that certainly did perform i think quite well for audiences is, is if beale street could talk barry jenkins new movie um i was a little worried because there was that whole thing where it didn't go to telluride and then the the you know it was very last minute in terms of getting the film done in time and expectations no, were so what, high i see what the issue it's here's let, let's bring it back to a question of several movies that were all being rumored to have editing issues before the festivals beautiful boy was one boy erased was one and so was this one and they're all challenging uh, narratives that are not going to be uh, easily accessible to wide audiences. Beale Street is such a beautiful, elegant European movie that I do worry about its, no matter how high the critics are on it, and they are, and they should be, because it's it's fabulous, it may not connect with audiences. I do worry about this. I didn't find Beale Street challenging at all relative to the other films that you're talking about. I mean, in Boy terms Ray's, of the narrative, in terms well, but, of the, the way that they had to construct it in the editing room. For example, I did not care for the voiceover from Tish, the leading woman character. That really threw me out of the movie. I, I mean, to me, the, the voiceover is, is what opens it up to more people because it does provide you with a lot of context and, and in some ways leads from one part of their lives together to the next because it's jumping between their earlier scenes, this courtship between this, you know, teen black couple in this early 70s and then, you know, a couple years or however much time later when he's in jail for a crime he didn't commit. So you do need something to kind of explain that constant time jump. And I, and I felt like her voiceover does help and it's lifted from the novel and I had that context as well, but I, but I felt like it does help ground the film a little bit. Otherwise it would be perhaps a little bit too jarring to have those kinds of shifts, but also, I mean, it's, it is a, a really beautiful romance. that's tackling some fascinating themes and a movie like say boy erased is, is, you know, dealing with things that are important, but I think it seems to have had a harder time in the editing room because it it's, doesn't give you the same sort of, uh, connective tissue between the time jumps that it's making, so they, it, it seemed that's like that's the problem perfect. there, yeah. definitely. So Beale Street to me seemed like a movie that actually could be more open to people, and like you said, it's it's so gorgeous. The music is amazing. There's some some really fascinating camera work stuff that's going on, and it took music, me back to the New York of my youth. I have to confess, it was that's great. It's great, and it's going to screen at New York Film Festival at the Apollo, which I'm be sure great. is going to be amazing. And um, and Kiki Lane, who plays the, this young woman, 
uh, is, is, I mean, talk about a star is born. And then that is a, a real breakout performance right there. I don't know. I mean, best actress is getting pretty crowded. It's going to be tough. That movie has to do business. That movie has to be seen by lots and lots of people. And uh, we shall see how, how that goes. It'll be a tough marketing challenge. God, it is such a dense year. And just in terms of quality movies, which is an awesome problem to have. But if you make a living trying to get movies to win Oscars, I do not necessarily envy your situation. No, and here's, and here's the brutal truth of it. And this is part of what uh, Toronto shows us, you know, is you, 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 if you think about it, I mean, there, how many movies are showing there, you know, uh, over 200 uh, something, 200 and something movies. So you end up, you know, there's a, you know, and you know, from all the publicists who are hawking you every day, you know, there's this brutal triage that goes on in terms of just what we have time to see and review and and what we consider to be important and all the films that get left by the wayside that don't even get registered on Metacritic because not enough people reviewed them. Um, and so you end up with, with a situation where you can see, as we've been discussing, which movies are, are going to have clear sailing and which ones are going to have a tougher time. And and it's going to be harder for them to make a, an impact. And, and, and in the, the crucible of the fall with all those uh, art houses, all those theaters, the top theaters, they get overbooked. It's very expensive to, to get a marketing handle on things. It's going to be rough for these movies. And so it's interesting to see, you know, is A24 going to take Gloria Bell and, and take Julianne Moore? And I loved this movie. It's Sebastian Lelo's remake of the original uh, 213 Gloria. But is it is it going to go up against their own hereditary with Tony Collette, you know, or probably not leave like it in the spring. Not. Yeah. Leave it I, in the I, spring. I think that the, the, a company like that, the perspective would be that, you know, it doesn't necessarily need to be an awards movie. If, if you know, everybody loves it and they're going to go see it. And Julianne Moore doesn't necessarily need that awards. Having play. already won so, over Alice. In a similar so movie. yeah, I would assume that they're probably happy to not have a, a too many awards campaigns to worry about this, this season in particular. I am curious about what will happen with Vox Lux. Now, did you end up seeing that? No, I saw Destroyer finally on like the last day I was another playing. best actress potential, maybe possibly. I don't think so because it, it, it's a it's such a genre movie I liked it I like destroyer a lot I think it's uh, really fun and and gratifying in a certain kind of way and there was a mother-daughter aspect to it which I actually related to even though she's playing this extraordinary she's a pretty awful guy. person <laughs> yeah she's she's not she's not the admirable mom uh, figure that uh, we see in movies but I I think that Karen Kasama did a great job and Nicole Kidman did a great job too but Kidman if you question, totally transformed. that's not the kind of movie I you know that even if you want to argue that there are more young hip um, foreign, uh, sophisticated uh, uh, people joining the academy, uh, they still don't ma make the the lion's share. And most of the academy is still older white men. I'm sorry. That's, no, but that's true. But I do think that this is this genre. I mean, the movie. I think on some level, it's it's okay. It, it felt. How's it, it going to do in the box office? It felt a little dry to me. But but well, that's the thing. It's it's not an easy. Sell and it didn't get rave parts. reviews. It got yeah. okay reviews. It's not a perfect movie, but I think her transformation into this character, especially seeing Boy Erased, where she plays, I think, a, a pretty bland character by comparison. It's amazing to see her transform into somebody so different from 
you know, how she normally appears. Just the physical transformation is very impressive. I loved, I loved her. I thought she was extraordinary. I loved her in the paper boy. That doesn't mean it's an Oscar contender. So, but, but, so Vox Lux very quickly, I would say is interesting and I hope you get a chance to see it. I'm not sure what's going to happen. But on the surface, uh, just from everything I've read and everything (laughs) I've read from you, even you admitted in your piece about about that movie, it's a long shot. It's, it's not an Anne Thompson movie either. It's it's a movie that is going to. Would you have said Destroyer was an Anne Thompson yeah, movie? Um, it's it's closer on the spectrum. Would you have yeah. said Border was an Anne Thompson movie? Oh yeah, Border because it, because it's a, a delightful love story. Vox Lux is is is, is a prov- <laughs> provocation. It's a, it's designed to be Border is 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 a shocking movie, but I think it's at the end of the day, it's a, a, a love. Oh my god! Oh, it totally is. It totally oh my is. God. We don't we I don't want to spoil Border, but it is essentially about trolls. And uh, and there's some sex in it that's and surprising. And gender identity issues. Yeah, but I think but it, but the movie that movie sells itself to you. Vox Lux is a movie you have to be you have to open yourself up to on mm-hmm, some level. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think Kidman or I'm sorry, I think Natalie Portman as this detestable pop star. She arrives in the second half of the movie. The first half of the movie is about her younger years. So when we get to Natalie Portman, uh, the way that she inhabits this character is not like anything we've seen her do before. And it, it's got a kind of Gina Rowland's Women Under the Influence kind of an element to it. And then there's a big performance at the end. She's actually singing and she dances. Her husband, who choreographed Black Swan, they reteamed for this again. So people will talk about that. I think, I don't know what's going to happen here. I think if they put her in Best Supporting Actress because she's only in half the movie, that would be an interesting campaign. And remember, Neon had this late edition with Itania last year and ultimately won for Alice and Janney. So we'll see what happens on that front. But Did that was anybody at Neon say to you that they were considering that? Because that would be unusual, given that I, I, I don't know. she's the I, title I'll, character. What, what, I, what I have heard is that it, the plan is to release it this year and to try to do a campaign. And I would be surprised if they did that. But, I, but to me, it would be a smarter move, especially given this crowded field that we've been talking about. And, uh, you know, it requires some outside of the box thinking anyway to get this movie on people's plates. I, I hope they, you know, find a plat- good platform for it. I mean, if you can get it late into New York Film Festival or something like that, it, it would probably make a difference because the critical response to this movie is still kind of limited to Venice and Toronto. And it's going to need a lot more people talking about this performance and why it's valuable, especially because you also have stars born. So it's like competing pop star movies. And one of them is obviously more accessible. So the, you're the answering one, your own question. Eric. I, well, what, what I'm saying is I'd love to see something kind of off the wall. Like I this. find it interesting that you're rooting so hard for this, but well, you, you want to be surprised by stuff. I love Roma. I think it's a masterpiece. And would love to see Roma do really well. But I also feel like there are certain movies that need to be talked about more if they even have a chance at being part of the conversation at all. And, and this is probably going all to right. be one. Well, let's, let's talk about Beautiful Boy. This is another one where um, I'm not sure they came out of Toronto with all the bells and whistles they might have hoped for. Um, it's such a rigorously uncompromised uh, approach, uh, and I give Plan B a lot of credit for sticking to their guns and doing it the way they did. Um, and Luke Davies, the the screenwriter, is a recovering heroin addict, and he brings a lot of authenticity to the adaptation of these two father son memoirs. And I think Steve uh, 
Carell and and Timothy Chalamet do an amazing job of 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 being these characters. But um, I don't know. I don't know how this this movie is going to do uh, with audiences. Well, I mean, how many people are going to say on a Friday, man, I really want to go see that super depressing story about the dad and the drug addicted son and who just does a bunch of drugs for the whole movie. I mean, the movie is literally what it looks like. It's so much exactly what you think it's going to be that it's, it's, there's not a lot of surprise there. I mean, what's, what's effective about the movie is what you would expect an amazing Timothy Chalamet performance, Carell doing his melancholic thing pretty well. I found the movie to be a little on the didactic side, especially towards the end. And there's some end credits telling you broader statistics about drug addiction and stuff that I didn't really need. There's stuff like that. that It's just the movie didn't, it never kind of gets to the next level and there's nothing surprising about it. So, so it's a, it's a bit of a disappointment. I I agree. And, and Timothy Chalamet though is so good. So extraordinary. It's really, he really makes the thing work to the extent that it does, uh, that I think the actors will certainly push him across for supporting actor uh, on this one. Uh, there, there's a, I don't know how to explain it. There's a kind of rising star thing going on with him after Call Me By. Oh, the Shalomaniacs are yeah. off the hook. I mean, uh, the, the, these people will see, he could be in a, in a complete disaster of a movie right now and have that kind of support. So the fact that he's in a, he gives a really good performance in an okay movie uh, is more than enough for him to remain kind of a part of the conversation. And then, you know, it's 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 hard not to compare uh, Beautiful Boy to Ben is Back because they're sort of similar. In this case, Lucas Hedges is the drug addict re- trying to recover who's who's wrecking havoc on on his on his uh, mother's life, his family, you know, his stepfather and so forth. And so I, I really um, uh, have to say that this is like the more mainstream version of Beautiful Boy. Um, and Lucas Hedges is so good in it. He's also good in, in, in Boy Erased. It's just, uh, I'm not sure that either of these films are going to go far enough to pull him along with them. All right. So we've arrived at a crossroads. We get to take a bit of a breather in between Toronto and New York Film Festival and a couple of other unknown quantities like the Dick Cheney movie with Christian Bale and things like that that are still kind of around the corner. But we have a pretty good sense of where we're at in terms of fall movies. So it might be a good time for us to at least slightly revisit that earlier conversation we had when The Favorite was playing at all these places. And you went out on a limb and said, well, for now, Favorite is a front runner for Best Picture. It's still in the top three. Uh, I would say that it's, and remember, it's going to open New York. So not a bad platform. And it's going to have all the it's going to have all the actors behind it with that fabulous trio of women. It's going to have all the crafts behind it with all the the extraordinary filmmaking that's going on. Um, Is it going to be the the and and all it needs is is to have extraordinary passion from its supporters. It doesn't have to be a consensus there will be people who hate it and loathe it, and like Todd McCarthy, can't stand the fact that the ending is yeah, yeah. comprehensible. There's some people who are just like baffled by this movie, or they don't understand that the, the, it's not trying to be an accurate period piece because Yorgos Lanthimos doesn't care about that kind of stuff. So you could poke holes in it a million different ways, or you can appreciate this nasty, bitchy, lesbian love triangle 
that's just like having so much fun with its power struggle at the center of the movie. And it's such an actor showcase and what he does visually in the movie, I think is very exciting. I would say to you that nothing that has screened so far, absolutely nothing has had more of a consensus support in terms of critics and audiences all across the board than Roma. And I, I, would, that's true. I would that's say absolutely this, true. I'm not going to see how you, how do you beat a movie like Roma? Well, here's the deal with Roma. Roma requires that you believe that the Academy is made up of enough people of sophisticated and um, filmmaking acumen, you know, who understand, you know, what was fun, what's fun about a place like Toronto is going to dinner uh, with Jeremy Saunier and listening to a very sophisticated and, and um, terrific uh, director appreciating with knowledge i mean we can put we can we can put this one down right now he will win best director because no and all those directors and all the people in the academy who appreciate what it was that he did to make that movie work that with those extraordinary long shots with with the extraordinary um use of of black and white uh, digital uh depth of field with with the with the extraordinary dolby atmos sound all the, the there were, by the way there are people who saw that movie in toronto who did not see it under ideal conditions and i heartily recommend that anybody who didn't see it with dolby atmos in a in a perfect situation give yourself the treat of seeing it that way, if you possibly yeah, can. Yeah, it's designed for these ideal conditions. There's no question that the, the there will be a tremendous support for him as a filmmaker, but also you think about it, this woman, Yelitia Aparicio, the main actress, she's a major discovery. The movie itself leaves people talking in a way that is, I think, it's just amazing. I mean, it's well, like, and then not- the other one is First Man. I mean, those three along, I mean, I put Star is Born farther down, if anything. I mean, it's in there too, but... But but the but the first man is going to go far as well. Um, yeah, it's funny because a lot of people it's more I- mainstream. Roma. I mean, we we love Roma. There's no question. You and I understand how great Roma is, and that we see that other people will appreciate it as well. And when I interviewed Jalitza uh, Aparicio, I, I I with her translator because she doesn't speak English, sitting across from her talking about some of the scenes in this movie, I started crying again. You know, that doesn't happen every day. That's and I think real. that it's going to be very smart the way this movie gets out in the world if you think about it because it's going to screen everywhere. It's going to play little regional festivals. He's going to get tons of, you know, award type of things across the fall. And then all of a sudden after to all of this To add to his stuff, golden lion. Yeah, he's going to get, yeah, he already won one award this season. And then it's going to suddenly at the very end of the year in December just become available all over the world. And it just seems really hard to top that with any of the stuff that we've been talking about here. Now, Star is Born, a lot of people, when I've been saying Roma's got to win Best Picture, to me, it's like it's got it in the bag. And they're like, well, Star is Born, you know, there's so many actors. The actors branch is so big. So this has got to be something that's going to win them over. I think actors... early. Come on. I mean, we have to follow all of this stuff through. I mean, we have to see. Here's the weirdness about Roma. Of course, the actors are going to appreciate what. Of course, they will. They like there. good movies. They've they've seen what happened, you know, with with Harold Russell and and Hang S. Nor and you know those things happen. That's not the issue. The issue is is Netflix 
the issue is whatever that theatrical release turns out to be, you know, we don't know yet. Um, the, the, you know, of course, everybody's going to see it and talk about it and, and make a fuss about it. But at the end of the day, does the mainstream of the Academy go for a black and white foreign language uh, presumed nominee, by the way, by Mexico? Um, you know, that's a big question. Yes, it is a question, but it but it seems like if there was a movie that could cross over, Amour got there, but it didn't win. Amour got there, and I think was not a movie for everyone. This is a movie that's going to have more fans. It just will. It, uh, it, it, it will have more fans than Amour, and yeah. it, it. I'm not even questioning that it will be one of the top contenders, and and the critics, of course, will put it across. In my personal pantheon of all the things I've seen this fall, Roma is so far ahead of everything else, it isn't funny. And I think you feel the same way. Yeah. But, but it's, uh, we're not typical of all those Academy voters, you and me. That's true. Sometimes you get to pull your head out of the sand and realize there's a bigger world out there. We're all used to that. So uh, next week, we'll have a bunch of stuff opening that we've already seen. But rather than stuffing it all into this week, why don't we take a step back from Toronto, catch up on sleep, and we'll look at some new releases, some of which may have some awards potential, like Sisters Brothers or Colette, and, and others which, like life itself, probably don't, but we can dig deeper into that next week. In the meantime, I hope you get a chance to uh, find some way to, to restart your sleep cycle. I know I'm, I'm in the process of doing that right now, so enjoy your weekend, Dan. You too, Eric. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.